0: Kids, you guys have not been, I don't think, in the service yet uh, for this series, so you get to, uh, to hear a little bit what, what uh, Mr. Duane said we're doing, is we are looking at how God, in the Old Testament, how he would proclaim the coming of Jesus through various stories and various people that are in the Old Testament, and how God was working already through them and through their lives to actually proclaim what he was going to do in and through Jesus for us. And when you think about that, that he was doing that thousands of years before Jesus even walked this earth. It speaks of what the New Testament talks about, how before the foundation of the world even, God knew us. He knew you. He formed you. So, we're going we're to uh, do that again this morning. And... Kids, I want to encourage you that there's probably going to be stuff that I say this morning that you're like, you're not going to understand, or you're going to be like, I don't totally get that. And that's, and that's totally okay. That's, that's part of just growing up and learning and, and understanding the Word of God. But there's probably going to be things you do here that you're like, I, I understand that, or I, I've heard of that, or there's glimpses of that I get. And so I want to encourage you guys to be listening and to be, to be picking out those things as kids Because God will even speak to you through that. God doesn't begin speaking to you at a particular age. It doesn't like you get to 14 or 15 or whatever age, and then all of a sudden God starts speaking to you then. How many of you know, kids, that God is speaking to you now? That he speaks to you now, to your hearts? How many of you know that? How many of you are brave enough to put up your hand? (laughs) Awesome. So, um, yeah, that was pretty much my introduction, I think. So, we've... Anyone remember, who, who are the, uh, the characters or the people in the Old Testament? Because they're not characters. They were people. They were people that walked this earth. Who who, did we, how, who have we looked at already? Anyone? Who's the first one we looked at? Anyone remember? Week one of Advent. You know, the kids, the kids are like, I don't know. I wasn't here. Moses was the first. Second one was... Joshua, and the third one last week was, and it was kind of a double. No, well, yeah, okay, and a third, Boaz. Yeah, Naomi was sort of a minor character in that, but she was there too. No, you're right. So we've, we've looked at how Jesus has been. He's our teacher through Moses. We looked at how he's our Savior through Joshua. We looked at how he's our Redeemer through Ruth and Boaz. And it, what it's doing is it's inviting us to draw near to God through faith and experience the work of God in our lives. This is about experiencing the work of God in our lives now. Right now, in today, 2019, soon to be 2020, we're experiencing God at work in our hearts. And so, uh, I've said this a few times, but I want to just keep drawing us back. The intent of this series is to draw our attention to Jesus beyond the manger it's to focus our hearts on Jesus during this season this culture of christmas that in so many ways has it all so wrong and gets us sidetracked in so many ways down paths that aren't have anything to do with the gospel so it's it's focusing us as god's people on okay what is this season really about it's directing our our minds to how all of scripture all of it points to Jesus and that that in itself is a search that you can do for the rest of your lives to see the wonder and the beauty of how Scripture draws us to Christ. And it's capturing our minds with this incredible truth that's found in Scripture of who Jesus is for us. Like that He is everything that we need. that He is, And, and in that, He is increasing our wonder, He's increasing our joy exponentially, our love and our worship for God. That there's just this increase of that happening in our hearts as we draw near to Him. And so... We're going to conclude Advent today by looking at King David and how his specifically how his earthly reign and God's promises to him, they echo in so many ways the coming of Jesus as our true king. That Jesus is our true king and the fulfillment of God's words through David and how he fulfilled those things in Jesus. And so from, from the moment that we meet David in Scripture... We, we see God's hand on his life. It's just so clear and obvious that God is calling David and has something to fulfill in his life. But in that, we also see this remarkable way in which David trusted God. That David, from the moment he was a young boy, that he was... Waiting for God to bring about his plans in his life, in his perfect timing. David wasn't trying to grasp things and make them happen himself. He was like, I'm going to wait for God to move. And we could spend, I mean, a a message series on how God even just brought David to the throne. And how there's the, the remarkable events that happened in David and how God moved to bring him to become king of Israel. But... What I want to do this morning is I want to look specifically at the promises that God made to him when he, when he came to be on the throne and what God said about David and his kingship. I think that David is probably one of the loudest, if not the loudest, echo of Jesus in the Old Testament. When you look at um, the promises specifically that are spoken over him, over his kingship, and how all throughout Scripture there's this tying back, to David and the throne of David and how God was was moving through that. Which is in itself marvelous because God didn't even want to install an earthly king over his people. He said, I I," like he said to them, I don't want to do that. Samuel warned them, he says, Don't don't do this. Like you want a king. God is your king. And yet the people said, No, 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 we want a king. And I and I marveled how in the midst of that, God didn't want to do it. And yet he says, Okay, I am going to redemptively then work through the an earthly king to bring about my plans and purposes for my people. And that's what he does through David, which is really, really extraordinary. But throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament is woven this reality that there is a coming king that is going to rule for eternity. And maybe, maybe, you know, we, we still are under the British monarchy, so maybe we understand a little bit of it. But in, in, a, in a democratic, secular, pluralistic, you know, 21st century world, maybe we, some of these are like, we don't really understand this reign of a king. And yet God says, this is, like, I've installed my king, and I'm, I'm coming, and I'm ruling and reigning. So this, this is the wonder of Jesus. That out of his fullness, there's so many aspects of who he is for us. He is our, our rescuer. He is our teacher. He is our savior. He is our redeemer. He is our righteousness. He is our healer. He is our provider. He is, and you could go on and on and on. But on that list, and maybe right at the bottom in big, bold typeface, is he is also Lord and King. And so perhaps it will, it will even, um, we'll have our minds expanded this morning, if you will, to understand this in greater depth. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit's going to do that. But I want to, I want to talk this morning about three tenses of Jesus, our King, that, that we might be tempted to think when we hear this, like, well, yeah, that's, that's obvious. But we can always see more of the glory of Jesus. For us. We can there is always more glory in the Father to be seen. There's we will never reach a point where like, well, I've got it all now and I understand it all. There's always more to take in. And so that's that's sort of the uh the intent behind this. We're gonna talk about how Jesus is our coming king. We're gonna talk about how Jesus is our our present king. We're also gonna talk though about how he is our eternal king. And maybe all of this, as we get into this, it's going to expand our minds to understand how incredible God's plan is for us in giving us a king. That it is absolutely extraordinary. So, when we look at David, we, uh, as I, I sort of alluded to already, but we see a, a man who, he didn't try to take the kingdom of Israel by force. And that, that would have been the way that you would have done it culturally In those days, when when David was anointed by Samuel in wake of Saul's disobedience, and God spoke and said, I'm going to rip the kingdom out of Saul's hands, and he's no longer going to be king. At that point, it would have been perfectly understandable in the culture to say, well, I've been anointed as king, now I'm going to go, and I'm going to take that kingdom, and I'm going to take that nation and rule and reign. And David did the exact opposite. For a long while, he lived with the secret that he was this anointed king. And, he, and, and no one but him and Samuel knew. Maybe, well, maybe some of his family knew. His dad probably knew. But he's waiting for years as Saul continues to rule. And Saul continues to do all sorts of stuff that is just evil. And trying to kill David and all We won't get into that. But all the rest of that. And David is waiting. But we, we read several times where David chose to trust God. Very intentionally. Chose to trust him for his timing. Even when his men said, hey, this is, you can take Saul now. Like, you've got him. Take him. You're, you're the anointed king. And, and he said, no, I, I will not touch. He said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. He would not try and achieve anything by his own means. He, he believed, he trusted, God will establish me as king in his timing. And in, in hindsight, maybe it goes, well, yeah, it looks easy. Like, well, yeah, because God did that. But when you think about it in the moment, David's waiting years. And nothing's happening. And Saul's continuing to, to, to rule in ways that I'm sure David was like, God, what is, what is going on? And Jesus, there's echoes of even Jesus in that. Because Jesus walked this over and over again. He walked this on this earth. He said, Father, it's not my will, but your will be done. Jesus said, I, I'm, I'm, I come here only to do the will of the Father. I'm not, I'm not here to try and do my own ideas. And so it was years of waiting until David was installed as king over God's people. But we, we see how his, his willingness to walk in trust and obedience, it resulted in such incredible promises out of that for God's people. As, as God's people, we, we know or we, I should say, we need to know that God exerts all of his power. So God is, is exerting all of his power over us, meaning in being able to do anything and know everything. So he is omnipresent, he's omniscient, he is, those big words mean basically he knows everything. And he knows everything in his timing. So, and, and in that, he's exerting in all of that to bring about good for us. And that we need to know that we are that people if we follow Jesus in the obedience of faith. And we need to know that God is working for the good of all of that in our lives, at all times. So the most practical truth, really, that, that any of us can know is that God is all-powerful, he's all-wise, and all for us. Period. Like, like end of story. He's, that's him. That's who God is. Nothing, and, and when we get that, when we really get that, nothing will have a more important practical impact on the way that we use our money, the way that we use our, spend our time, the way that we pursue our vocation, the way that we raise children, the way that we deal with conflict, the way that we handle fear, the way that we handle anxiety, the way that we handle pain. All of it is, God is all-powerful, God is all-wise, and he's all for us. Period. That changes how we live life. It's, it's heartfelt confidence that the sovereign God is working everything together for your good out of sheer grace, and that affects every area of your life. That, that grace pours into every area of your life, if you will. So this this is the confidence that we need to know amidst the difficulties and struggles in life. Because saying all that, God is for our good, doesn't mean there's not difficulties and struggles. We know that. So, but God is good. And he's working all good for us. So, We need to know it because then we will have genuine joy. We will rest amidst the challenges of parenting and relationships. We'll have a genuine burden for the lost that produces gospel boldness in our lives. We will be bold. Why? We have an all-wise and all-powerful God. And he's all for us. So I'm bold because Jesus reigns. We, we will be stirred in our hearts by the gospel to live for the pursuit of Jesus. We'll be stirred by that. Why? Because he's all wise. He's all powerful. Okay, now you're probably like, okay, like so how does this affect, like, connect to David and his kingdom? <laughs> like what are you, how, how are you doing this? In the establishment of David's kingdom... God speaks a promise over David that we're going we're to read it in a moment that speaks to his, of his kingdom being established forever. But, but in that promise, there's a much wider promise being spoken by God that speaks to another king who's eternal and whose reign is forever. Now again, you go, yeah, I know, bing, 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 answers Jesus. Yes, but when that promise was spoken, The people didn't know that. And we need to see the wonder of this, of what God was doing. So, I want to talk about how Jesus is our coming king. So there's these promises we're going to read in a second that are found in 2 Samuel 7. That is both for David, it's for his family, it's for his sons to come, but it also speaks far into the future. Now again, remember, God is outside of space and time. So he's, he's speaking his promises over what he's going to do. He sees it all. And he's speaking this promise way into the future for his people. And it stirs our hearts because we have a God who promised eternal good for his people. So let's, let's turn to 2 Samuel. Let's read a few verses here. And then we'll try to understand them. 2 Samuel 7 verse 12. So this is David has just been anointed king. Like as in he's actually been now installed and established as king. Saul is no longer king. And this this is the Lord's covenant. The promise that he speaks over David. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your father's. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me. Your throne shall be established forever. Yeah, we'll end, and we'll end there. God, we thank you for these words. We thank you for this promise. We thank you for how you were revealing already thousands of years ago your eternal plan to bring about good for your people and to establish your eternal king. And Lord, we... We receive that with unbelievable gratitude and unbelievable awe that you are so awesome. And your word is eternal and your word is trustworthy and true and we, we receive it. We ask you that you would speak to our hearts now that we would understand this in a way that would awaken awe and wonder in us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let's, let's unpack this promise and try to Understand it a little bit. So, on, on one hand, this, this does apply to, to David and his family. It applies to Solomon, who is to come uh, after him and reign as king. Solomon did, in fact, was the one to build the temple that was promised here for God's presence to dwell with his people. And there was this promise of God's steadfast love to remain with Solomon. It, he, God said it, it won't depart off of him like it did, it departed from Saul. But it also speaks of David's throne being established forever. Three times there it uses, it says forever. It's it's a kingdom forever. And and so this is where we run into a bit of a problem. Because it says that Solomon will have habitual ongoing sin in his life. That's, That's what it means by commits iniquity. So he's going to have sin and it's going to end in discipline. In fact, it's going to end with other, he's going to feel discipline on the earth from men, God says. It's going to, it's not going to go well. And this is a problem because Solomon did end up with some pretty serious sin in his life. He had, he married foreign wives who led his heart away from God and he began to worship idols late in his life. And and you kind of read it and you go like, what was happening? But Solomon's heart was was turned away. And in First Kings eleven, God declares to Solomon, He says, I- "I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you." And and yet, even in that, there was mercy because He says, "I'm I'm going to tear the kingdom away from you, but for the sake of your of David, your your father, I'm not going to do it in your days. I'm going to do it in the days of your son." And then He says, and and because of that. I'm going to leave one tribe, I'm going to leave Judah, and I'm going to leave the city of Jerusalem that I've chosen because of David. The the problem is that God's promise of David's eternal throne, that he promised there, it cannot happen with rebellious kings. And what do we see with throughout the Old Testament, throughout Israel's history? We see rebellious king after rebellious king. In fact, Solomon, he says himself, In 1 Kings 8, he says, there's always going to be a throne on a king, sorry, on the throne of Israel if they walk before the Lord in obedience. So Solomon himself says it, he knows it, and then what does he do later on in his life? He breaks his own vow, and we see throughout the Old Testament that there's this, this history of Israel that... Where they just they walk in obedience, increasing disobedience. They, they turn it sometimes back to the Lord, but then a worse king comes along. And there's just this, this trend of where the nation is being brought to ruin by the disobedience of their kings. But God had promised... So, so go back to 2 Samuel 7. God had promised that there would be a king on his throne forever. So how do you make sense of that in light of what's going on in the nation of Israel? Generation after generation after generation. And, and God's people clung to this word. They clung to, this is true. We believe this. So Psalm 89. not Actually not written by David. But Psalm 89 speaks to this promise. Verse 4 quotes exactly from 2 Samuel 7. I will establish your offspring forever, and I will build your throne for all generations. Verse 20 and 21 there of that psalm speaks of God anointing David, giving him his power. And then it says, there's some incredible verses in Psalm 89. Verse 29, his throne will be as the days of heaven. Well, what are the days of heaven? There's no end. So he's saying his throne will have no end. Verse 36, his throne will be as long as the sun before me. Well, how long has the the sun been before the Lord? Forever. So there's this, this speaking of like this is a kingdom without ends. David himself in Psalm 16 verse 10 says, you will not let your holy one see corruption. Okay. What happened to David? He died. But he said, you won't let your Holy One see corruption. Verse, or sorry, Jeremiah 33, there's another incredible prophetic promise there where it says in Jeremiah thirty-three twenty 20 and 21, God says, if you can cause the day and the night not to come, okay. Has anyone been able to cause the day or the night not to come ever? No, Right? Every morning, what happens? And every night, what happens? Right? So God says, if you can stop that somehow, then, and only then, can my covenant with David be broken so that he shall not have a son to reign on his throne. That's a pretty secure promise. Okay, but again... The problem is David physically died, and his sons turned away from him, and the kingdom was ripped out of their hands. But God's people refused. They said, we will not let go of this promise that God is going to put someone on his throne forever. All the prophets spoke about it. Jeremiah spoke about it. Ezekiel prophesied about it. Most famously, probably Isaiah. That's what we read this morning for Advent. We, we sung about it. The people were in darkness. Jesus came down into darkness. God descended. He, he came to be with us. Right? A child shall be born. A son is given. His name shall be called, there it says in Isaiah, mighty God. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. And then it says the zeal, that's a really strong word, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Okay, so the promise of the covenant of David, the promise that there would be a king on that throne is secured by the coming of God himself to sit on the throne. His name shall be called Mighty God. This is what God's people have clung to for centuries. Over and over and over again they clung to it. This is what God's people still cling to to this day. And within the promise written of there in Isaiah there was also this consistent promise that was spoken throughout the Old Testament over and over again over this coming king. And that is that there will be peace with no end and there will be righteousness forevermore. That's a theme over and over again. And it was as God's people, as they, they continue to cling to the promise of David's throne being established for eternity. Think about this, 400 years That's a long time. So just count back 400 years from 2019 and you're in 1519. I think Martin Luther was living then. I don't know who the king of England was. 400 years. That's a long time. The prophets were silent for 400 years. And the people are clinging to this promise. We're walking in darkness, but God is going to deliver us. Have you ever... Have you ever thought what it would be like to have to cling to a promise from 1519? Sorry, 1619. I did the math wrong. 1619 to 2019. I don't know who the king was in 1619 either. So they're waiting, and an angel comes to a girl betrothed to be married in a small little town town. So, here's the one problem of how we've, not not like we, but like how our society and culture has framed Christmas. Jesus is the promised one who has come to fulfill the long-awaited promise. Yes, absolutely. That is incredible. But, the very fact of his coming has eternal implications for every single person that has ever walked on planet Earth. It's not just a coming of a baby that we celebrate once a year and we acknowledge and we give big expensive gifts and then we and we have big expensive feasts and then we go on with our lives and we live like nothing ever happened. That is a total misunderstanding of what's happening here. Thousands of years of prophecy it's great to have the nativity scenes. It's great to have Christmas plays. It's great to have all of it. It's great to have Michael Bublé singing Christmas songs. Like probably no one better right now, right? But, and it, it's, it's great. It's fun. It reminds us of truth. It draws us back to truth. But this was about God's purpose to install his son as king. Both present and eternal. So, like, have we really considered the implications of that for our lives? Or are we inclined to get so wrapped up so much in the culture of Christmas around us that we actually miss the entire purpose of this coming? Are we stirred to worship? Are we stirred to speak of this coming to others? Does it absolutely just rock our hearts of what God was doing. And so it speaks of Jesus as our eternal king. Gabriel said to Mary, he says, God will give to him the throne of his father David. Of his kingdom, there will be no end. So here's the problem that Jesus' followers had to deal with then. The promise was a king that would rule over the nation of Israel forever. God's people thought they had it figured out. They thought they had all the prophecies figured out. There is a Messiah that's going to come. He's going to set up an earthly rule, and he's going to reign as our king forever. And he will be the Messiah. The problem was that Jesus didn't quite meet the expectations. He didn't overthrow the Romans. He didn't come with a sword. And he didn't come as a military ruler to say, I'm setting up shop here now. He didn't meet any of the expectations. He was crucified in a cross. He's buried in a tomb. And people are going, the gig is up. He's a fraud. People still to this day go, Jesus is a fable. Jesus was a made, he's a made-up individual. Except that he didn't stay dead. God defeated the power of death, and Jesus is alive Today. He's alive today. December 22nd, 2019, Jesus Christ is alive. That changes everything. Remember, God is all for us. He's all knowing, He's all powerful. His kingdom is established. He's not simply a historical figure, He's not simply a miracle worker with cool sayings. He's not part of some made-up universe that people get all excited about and put up posters on their walls and get all... They they set their lives around made-up characters. He's the eternal king of heaven who calls his people to live differently because his kingdom has been established. So, in Acts 15, the, the early church got together to discuss all of this because here was the issue. Their issue is how do you make sense of all of God's promises to his people? There's a bunch of these promises that he is going to rule over Israel. And how do you make sense of Jesus' coming and how do you make sense of all these people that aren't Jews by birth? Allah, me. And probably almost all of us. And so... The church gets together and they go, we've, we've, got, we've got a, well, what's going on here? I mean, there was, there, there was seriously a, a real chance that the church was going to be divided right then and there. Thankfully, the Holy Spirit knew this. And as they're meeting, they recall the words of the prophet Amos, who said this, After this, I will return And God says, I will rebuild the tent of David that has fallen. I will rebuild its ruins and I will restore it. That the remnant of mankind may seek the Lord and all the Gentiles who are called by my name, says the Lord, who makes these things. It's probably the most important chapter in the Bible for all of us. Well, not, you know what I'm saying, not really. But that, that was the hinge point where the church went, Jesus is for everyone. We we realize now what God is, is doing. God says, I will rebuild, I will restore, that a remnant may seek the Lord, that all people may come in. And with that, it was with that that the church affirmed inclusion. Jesus is the eternal king on the throne of David for all people. And in Revelation 22 Amazing promise that's spoken there. It speaks of the new heavens and the new earth that's to come. It speaks of Jesus on the throne. It speaks that it speaks of his people there. They'll see his face. They'll reign forever. And then Jesus says this in verse 16. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you about these things for the churches. I am the root. You get that? The root and the descendant of David. That's almost like, how do you make sense of that? I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. We don't physically see him. We don't physically hear him. Some people may have heard him. But if this is true, if Revelation 22:16 16 is true, then it's the greatest confidence our lives. There is no greater confidence than Jesus saying, I am the root and the descendant of David. I am ruling and reigning. This, this is the sure hope for all of us who commit our lives to Christ. This, this is the truth that will have practical impact in every area of your life. The manger's cool. Yeah, the manger's great. But the manger... Compared to Jesus on His eternal throne, and Jesus with His people, this is that's where it's at. It's really where it's at because Jesus is—he's not just our coming King; He's not even just our eternal King. Jesus is also our present King, and this is where I want to end. So, Matthew twenty-two. In Matthew 22, Jesus tells a parable, and he he begins the parable with these words. He says, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son. And this king, he sends his servants out to invite all the people who are invited to this great feast. Again, kingdom of heaven may be compared to this, Jesus says. And they invited these people, and it says that these who were invited... They paid no attention. They went off with their own lives. They went off to their own interests. They went off to their own pursuits. Some even went as far as to basically kill the king's servants, it says. And so the servants come back to the king, Jesus says, and, and they, they have no guests. And they say, what are, what are we to do? And the, and the king says to them, go out and invite anyone you can find, and it says there, and they went and they brought in both the good and the bad. Think about that. they gathered up all who they f- whom they found, both the good and the bad who 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 termed who was good and who was bad the people right and it says that they brought these people in, and the wedding hall, the feast, was filled with guests. It's this incredible picture. Again, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to this, Jesus says. And then there's this odd little ending to it. Because Jesus says, they, they then they find a man in the wedding feast who has no wedding garment on. Meaning he didn't come dressed to celebrate the wedding meaning he really didn't care about the wedding. He was just there because they had brought in a bunch of people and he was hanging out. He was there at a party. It's a wedding. Woo! And Jesus says that he's thrown out because he has no idea why he's even there. And and the parable is a picture of what's happening right now as we wait for Jesus' return to the wedding feast there are those who are indifferent there are those who are even antagonistic and there are those who are unchanged by the gospel they're just living life for the pursuit of their own personal fulfillment but again remember that in the midst of that the king says go out and invite anyone who you can find gather them up bring them in so there's an intentionality of go out and invite we we want people to be brought in and there's a king who's calling and inviting us to come into the feast to be to be ready that that's the picture of the guy that's there in the wedding garment he's not eager and he's not waiting he doesn't really care about the wedding where Come in, be eager and waiting because the bridegroom is going to come. The son is coming. And Jesus is inviting us into his kingdom now. And, and there's, a, there's both a, a now and a, a not yet to come sort of thing going on here again. That it's, it's here, but it's still coming in its fullness. There's a kingdom of peace of righteousness, of goodness, and healing. And the offer is to receive the invitation and enter into his kingdom. And I I don't think that we should hear that and sort of check out and go, oh yeah, that's, that's for those on the outside. I think that Jesus tells that parable to go have I responded to his invitation to live for his kingdom? Have I responded to that invitation? Am I there? Am I, do I have my wedding garment on? Am I eager and waiting for the son to come? So, back to Psalm 89 for a moment. I want to I end with this. Because verse 27, in the midst of this promise of this coming, king it says and i will make him the firstborn the highest of the kings of the earth the magi were the first gentiles to come and worship jesus they were giving him their best gifts kids do you know why one of the reasons why we we have this tradition of giving gifts at christmas what one of the reasons is is because of the magi Carter. Um, that's right. That's one of the reasons. Is that what you were going to say, Emmett? Mm hmm. He's the gift to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. So, the Magi came and they gave him their best gifts. (laughs) Samuel and I were watching, we saw a commercial. Was it last night? And this commercial centered around how, um, around gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and how they equated it to receiving technology gifts at christmas and i was like you have got to be kidding me (laughs) but i was like well okay and we talked about it because it's like seriously but they gave their best gifts worshiping him as their highest king and so i want to i want to end this morning the question for all of us that we can ask ourselves Is there something that I can give Jesus as the highest king? Is there something that you can give this morning as you go into this next week of Christmas where you can give it to him? And it it, it does begin with surrendering our lives, but it also involves intentional decisions, it involves making choices. It's about, it's about deciding, I am going to do this. The Magi chose to come. They chose to bow down. Let's pray. Jesus, I, I want to thank you for the wonder of your birth. I want to thank you for how you gave up everything. You relinquished your rights, you relinquished your glory. You gave it up, you gave up all the glory of heaven so that you could come down in order to save us. And Lord, I wanna pray that that common known knowledge that maybe we've heard thousands of times in our lives, Lord, that it would, there'd be something new in our hearts that would fill us with wonder and awe that you came for us, you came for me. Jesus, we thank you for that and we thank you that right now you are the glorious king of heaven. You are ruling, you are reigning right now. And we thank you, God, that you are all-powerful, you are all-wise, that you know everything and that you are all for us. We bless you, Jesus. Amen.